friend of mine who actually digs the next allotment to uh, me uh, went on pilgrimage not so long ago. Uh, I think it was a couple of summer ago, summers ago now. He walked the old pilgrim tra- trail to uh, Santiago de Compostela in uh, um, Portugal. And he did, he came back a changed man. Um, he was deeply moved by the experience. Uh, partly, he said, through the friends that he met along the way, partly through the opportunity to uh, stop and reflect and consider. And even he indulged in a bit of worship. He's not a Christian. But I think he's very uncertain as to whether there is a God, and certainly if there is a God, what he's like. But even for such a person, that experience for him, he felt, had value. It seems that there is something very deeply built into human beings that needs the opportunity to reflect on life, to step back from the busyness of life a little bit and just consider at more depth the true meaning of life. And there's something deep in human experience that needs to do it in community as well, with other people who uh, are taking that time out um, similarly. So it's not actually a great surprise that God in his wisdom and his understanding of human beings, at least for the Old Testament, should have ordained that Israelites should go on pilgrimage three times a year. They should travel from their distant um, uh, places all over um, uh, Israel and go up to Jerusalem together, corporately, um, as they went to worship God. And in the wisdom of God, these these, uh, songs, as I said, were, were gathered together precisely to enable the community of pilgrims to consider their faith together as they travelled towards Jerusalem. In one sense, it is a loss to us as God's people that we don't have those pilgrimages. Though what the Bible says, what the New Testament says, is that we should be, consider ourselves pilgrim people all the year round. Not just three times a year, but all the time, walking on that great, glorious journey, not to Jerusalem, not to the temple, but actually to meet with God face to face, which one day we will do. And uh, uh, it is not by accident that the New Testament says we should do it communally. That there is a moment to stop and reflect. Actually it happens every week as we gather together here and as churches around the world gather together. Stop, to reflect, to sing songs together to consider our faith as pilgrim people, which Christians are, we need that. 
And uh, I know, because many people have told me, um, that these um, psalms have been very, very useful for us this summer as we have considered them through um, the end of June and, uh, and now up to the end of, uh, end of July. They um, have been deeply useful to me and I know to many of you. And I promised you at the beginning of the series that we would have a little booklet for you to go away with um, uh, to uh, read on the beach or wherever you are this summer because the summer's a great time personally to stop and reflect. You can't do everything communally. And uh, uh, there should be on the table at the uh, back um, uh, the set of booklets I managed to keep my promise just um, so uh, do take one if you um, if there aren't enough there or whatever there's a PDF that you can download and we'll make sure that every Sunday there are uh, some of those booklets there so I'm hoping that this though this is the end of the series this won't be the end of our time actually reflecting on the nature of our faith over this summer as pilgrim people and uh, the lessons that we have learned are deeply valuable. We haven't gone into all, each of these, the booklet does, but, uh, but just think about them with me as we've gone through those psalms. We, we saw that they are, they are loosely gathered together in triplets. The first of each triplet always is more of a lament. I'm not there yet, God. I'm not at the end of the pilgrimage. And the second one, and he, in the triplets, always has the nature of um, a celebration of God's deliverance or God's help. And the third one in each triplet, the, actually the last triplet being an exception to this, the third one in each triplet nearly always is a, is a celebration of the, of the peace and the contentment that comes to believers as they enjoy God's help. Lament um, God's intervention and the peace that comes. And Psalm 120 to 122 are all about setting out on the pilgrim journey. You will not leave your, um, your uh, devotion to this world until you have seen that this world does not satisfy. Says Psalm 120. We must actually learn not to love the world. And we will not leave Psalm 121 says, we won't set out on the journey until we've dealt with our fears. Pilgrimage in ancient Israel was a dangerous thing. Actually, Christian pilgrim, pilgrimage is a hazardous journey. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my hope come from? My hope comes from the Lord, says the psalmist. And 122 celebrates, actually right at the beginning of the series, says uh, our feet are standing in your courts, Jerusalem. It, it, it means we're virtually there. If these were to be sung sequentially on the pilgrimage, it doesn't mean they're literally there. It means that with God's help, we're as good as there. Then um, 123 to 125 um, uh, speak um, a little, little bit more detail about some of the, the difficulties that there are in being pilgrim people. We are despised, 123. But 124, the Lord saves us. And God's people 
125 are secure. It's as if it describes God's people as being like Jerusalem. A secure city as we walk as pilgrim people. 126 to 28 explore a, a, a big question. Perhaps it's a man's question, but women will probably dispute that. Will I achieve anything? Will it make any difference living a life for God? Will I persevere? As I live with the disappointments of being a believer, those who go out in the morning sowing with tears, says the psalm, will return with sheaves at the end of the day. Yes, if you sow in tears, you will achieve something. But the Lord must build the house, Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labour in vain. 128, the Lord does give fruit. Wonderful picture in 128 of the fruitfulness of a life of faith. Yes, it is worth it, walking the path. 129 to 131, look at the problem of sin. The sin of others. They have opposed me, says the psalmist. They've ploughed deep furrows on my back. 130 more poignantly are sin. If you kept a record of sin, no one could stand, says the psalmist. But with you is forgiveness. And then at 131 they look, we looked at Last week, wasn't it? I have stilled and quietened my soul like a weaned child. I do not trouble myself with things too great for me. I will be content simply in being a forgiven and safe person. Nothing can stop me getting to God. So then we get to the completion of that uh, um, set of 15 psalms. Uh, we're not going to look at 132 today, though it's very, very important. It divides into two halves. It begins by celebrating David's, King David's perseverance and determination to establish a place where God could be worshipped. They're heading for Jerusalem and the temple. And David was the first one who formulated the, uh, the desire for there to be a temple. But the second half of the psalm is equally important. David swore an oath that there should be a temple, says 132. But then God swore an oath that he would keep his people. And which oath is more important? The oath of God. We will get there. That's the point. David persevered and we should. But God, more importantly, God will persevere with us because God is faithful. Imagine then that now the uh, singing of the Psalms has... Um, come to its high point. Imagine all those 
streams of pilgrims coming from all different directions and, and slowly coalescing like um, rivers in reverse, um, uh, uh, coming, uh, coming together, going up the hill towards Mount Zion, towards Jerusalem, towards the temple. All of the people coming together, coming together from different tribes, from different backgrounds. Imagine them meeting old friends who've gone to live in another part of the, uh, of the country and, and now they, they join together and they walk along together with them. Imagine family members. Um, there being family reunions, hugs, warm conversations as together a larger and larger and larger throng move up to Jerusalem and go in through its gates. That is what we are to uh, have in our minds when we read Psalm 133. It is, Psalm 133 is a celebration of coming together as God's people. The first thing that uh, we are told is it is good and pleasant. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. There is an objective goodness about it. There is a subjective pleasantness about it. That word is sometimes used in the context of meaning melodious. Music being pleasant and, and melodious. It feels good to be living together in unity, to be gathering together. More than that, though, says the psalmist, um, uh, it, 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 it is um, like being anointed. Do you see that? It, it is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard. The idea of anointing in the, the Bible, um, um, it means being set apart for God and being set apart sometimes particularly for serving God. And so he's saying, saying here that <coughs> gathering together as God, God, God's people confirms our status as people set apart for God, as people set apart for a beautiful purpose in God's great plan. To gather together is like being anointed, overwhelmingly, generously anointed. That, uh, that extraordinary picture of sort of flowing down on the beard and the, uh, uh, and the robe, the, 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 the true unity amongst believers abundantly anoints us and anoints us for a particular purpose. It's a particular kind of anointing. It is like uh, precious oil running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. In other words, it's like being anointed to be a priest. The role of a priest in the, in the Bible is that a priest has a special, um, a uniquely close relationship with God and a unique responsibility to, to, to mediate the things of God to the people. 
A priest faces two ways. He, he knows God. He can come close to God in the sanctuary and then he turns and he tells people about God. And the Old Testament makes it plain that the whole nation was supposed to be priests for the world. And how will they do that? Well, here is one of the, uh, one of the things. By being united. This anoints us like the anointing of Aaron says the psalm. And more than that um, uh, 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 anointing, verse 3 adds another image that we must, uh, uh, must see. Coming together as you, united people of God not only is good and pleasant, it not only anoints us, it actually brings fruitfulness and even life itself. It is as if The dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Uh, Up in the north of Israel was a high mountain, Mount Hermon, that uh, because of its height, um, often um, uh, gathered sort of um, uh, the moisture from the clouds that came in off the Mediterranean. So there were constant, and there still are, constant streams running down that mountain. Mount Zion down in the south is much drier. But as the people come from the north and every other direction and come to dry Mount Zion, it's as if they bring the dew with them when they're united together. And uh, he makes it plain that it's symbolising the blessing and even the life that God gives through that united witness of God's people. That is our privilege today. It was Israel's privilege, it is our privilege to gather together, to be a united people. That is good and pleasant. That confirms our anointing, our role in this world to be a kingdom of priests and the life that comes through it. We live in a terribly fragmented society, don't we? There's a programme on Radio 4 this week, um, uh, John Waite, talking about the ever-increasing number of people who die utterly alone. Some of them not discovered for up to years afterwards dying in their flats. Um, uh, one local authority that he went to was describing that they had to put on a local authority funeral at, uh, on average more than once a week for someone who had nobody in the world to come to or to pay for their funeral. We live in a really sad world in lots of ways. And we have the opportunity to be different. To be a united, good and pleasant community. To be people who are 
marked out as people who belong to God because we live in unity together. What did Jesus say? By this will all men know you are my disciples if you love one another. We have the um, opportunity to be a source of life to the world. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter describes a list of virtues that Christians should be adding one on top of the other. And it culminates in the virtue of love. And then he says something very interesting. If you possess these qualities, this is one Peter, sorry, 2 Peter 1 verse 8. Or it might be 1 Peter, I might have mistyped it. I think it's 1 Peter. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, are you making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of love, as the Apostle puts it? Have you learned to forgive people? Because this community, like every other, has plenty of sin in it. Have you learned to serve people, to give yourself for other people? Have you learned to promote our unity together as God's people? This is a central calling of God's New Testament church for the reasons that are set out in Psalm 133. It is there, as a united community, that God bestows his blessing, even life, forevermore. The New Testament does not know, does not recognise the idea of a lone Christian, you know. We function in community. And that is our future destiny too. You see, what happens here is simply an anticipation, is simply, to use the, um, um, the uh, Old Testament um, uh, analogy, is simply the gathering of the tribes in the streams as we head towards Jerusalem. One day, there will be complete unity. People from every tribe and every nation gathered together in God's new community, God's new Jerusalem. God's new heaven and his new earth. And then it will not just be good and pleasant, it will be perfect and indescribably wonderful. We will not need some anointing to witness to a dark world. We will simply be self-evidently the people whom God knows and loves. Then we will not need that second role of the priesthood to reach out to a world beyond. We will simply enjoy the first role of seeing God face to face. 
and the fruitfulness that will be there will be resurrection life. Isaiah looks forward to that resurrection life and uses the same analogy, the analogy of Jew. He says, your dead, this is Isaiah 26, verse 19, your dead will live, their bodies will rise. You who dwell in the dust, wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. And in Jesus that began. And Jesus is the first fruits of something that will happen for every single one. When we gather together here, it is just a pale reflection of the final gathering in eternity. And then uh, Psalm 100, oh, I haven't given you the, uh, Psalm 134 completes the, um, the whole story. There we find the blessing, not of community, but of worship. I think for 134, we need to go even a step further in this uh, pilgrimage. When they went up to um, the Jerusalem and to, to the temple, there were generally sacrifices to be prepared for and to be made, especially at the, uh, at the Passover. It was very busy. There was lots of hustle and bustle. Um, but then the first day of the festival always began when darkness fell. So imagine, all the, all the business, all the buying of stuff has finished and the sun has gone down and we're lingering here at the temple before we go to our own homes and celebrate the first feast of the festival and, and uh, settle down for the night to wake up to be fully in the festivities. We're lingering. And uh, there we see those now, no doubt, exhausted priests uh, still at the temple, now in the peace of the evening, just worshipping their God. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who minister by night in the house of the Lord. This scene is just, just pregnant with everything that has that is just begun or is just about to happen. They praise God. They stand and they worship. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. They lift up their hands in worship. Um, verse 2, and praise the Lord. This, this image of lifting up hands as well signifies prayer. 1, 1 Timothy 2 has, speaks of lifting up holy hands in, in prayer. They lifted up their hands to pray and beseech God. And um, they wait. May the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, bless you from Zion. There's a sense of the festivities beginning but not really being fully there yet. 
they praise the Lord by night. And that is so much where we are, you see, as believers. Jesus has died on the cross for our sins and in a sense, when he said it is finished, he meant it. There was nothing um, substantial more that needed to be done for all eternity. If you're a Christian here this morning, everything has been done for you. It is finished and you can start celebrating. The festivities have begun. Our Passover lamb has been slaughtered. But it's not yet fully day. It's not yet that moment when actually in Revelation 21 and 22 it says there was no longer need even for the sun and there was never any darkness because Jesus himself and God gave everlasting light. For now, we see as in a dark glass darkly. And we wait. That is the reality that pilgrims had to face, that we have to face. There may be a tough pilgrim trail for you to walk, but you're almost there, you know. There may be really difficult spiritual lessons that you will have to learn. You may have to be humbled specifically. It's a fascinating story in the life of Jacob who was the first one to get, have the name Israel and uh, whose struggles came to be um, metaphorical for the struggles of the whole nation of Israel. He once wrestled with God himself in a, a, a little brook, by a little brook, all night by the Jabbok. And at the end of it, God dislocated his hip. Jacob being Jacob, hung on to God and said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. But stroppy as it sounded, of course, it was the hanging on of a disabled man who knew he'd fall over if he didn't. And that was when God blessed him. And until we recognise that we are disabled, that our hanging on to God is a hanging on because we'd fall over if we don't. He will keep having to teach us that lesson. May the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, bless you from Zion. Yes, he will, if you learn the lesson of Israel. 
and you may have to wait. Some of us are here are young. You have a long path ahead of you and there may be many trials and many difficulties. Some of us here are much older. You're nearly there. Peter says that uh, after you have suffered for a little while, he himself will restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. But one day, you will be blessed immeasurably. One day, you will see God face to face. The darkness is passing. The true light is already shining. And one day, it will shine in its fullness. You will be home enjoying that new creation, enjoying the new community, enjoying the presence of God himself. In the meantime, we praise God like those priests by night. That's what these Psalms, these 15 Psalms, are designed to teach us. They are designed to help us to deal with all the trials and difficulties of a pilgrim life. They are designed more than anything else to assure you personally that what God has begun, he will bring to completion. What God has done in your heart, if you're a Christian here this morning, that is just the the first fruits. That is the seal on your heart, whereby he marks you as his. That is the down payment, whereby he says, I'm going to complete the payment for that person. And he will do it. He is faithful. He will get you there. And it is worth it. The best little bits of community that you've enjoyed now, that were good and pleasant, will one day become fully flower into a great harvest. The best experiences you have of God now will one day become an eternal, non-stop enjoyment of God and Jesus himself. So maybe you have to struggle. Maybe you have got a difficult path ahead of you. Many, many Christians have. But he's not going to let you go. He's going to get you there.